Hello, everyone. This is Learn to Listen with Mariah. Today, we are joined by Monica, who is a fellow senior at Notre Dame, and she's also from Indiana. She will graduate this year with her bachelor's in neuroscience and behavior with a minor in compassionate care and medicine. She lives in Ryan Hall, where she's a senior fellow. And for those of you who don't go to Notre Dame, that's a big thing, a big identifier for us students and alum, just almost kind of like Greek life is how you can think of it. And while at Notre Dame, Monica has been on the yearbook committee, served as the neuroscience leadership, served on the neuroscience leadership committee and social media liaison. She's also a member of Notre Dame's Access Able student group, which is a group joined um, together in advocating for students with disabilities. And with all that time left over, she has also been a tutor TA and lab grader. So welcome, Monica. Thank you for joining. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I know. I, I love you're the first student um, we've had on here. And I was so excited that you, you know, expressed interest and in also wanting to do this just one because I think it's so awesome how we met um you interviewing me for the yearbook right like just yeah like, <laughs> no I tell people that all the time I'm like I never joined yearbook expecting to like make friends off of my interviews and for the most part you know it's pretty much one and done but mm-hmm. yeah I was so happy that I actually made a friend through my interviews and that's I know really cool. I yeah I think it was sophomore year right because it was right after I did that performance in Legends I think yeah you it was for the sub or student union board. Uh, mm-hmm. They did their first ever student concert as opposed to inviting someone. And you had done that. And that's what I interviewed you for. And I think our friendship happened because we ended up being in um, Dr. Radvansky's uh, yes, learning yes. and memory class. And, you know, mm-hmm. just a familiar face kind of thing that turned into a friendship, which was yeah. great. <laughs> I know I remember like always just being like you know what's going on like do you know what this term means because it was like a fast moving class and um, I think it was my first psychology course actually um that I took at Notre Dame like out of intro psych so it was like very in-depth and I remember just like having someone in the class who was also like being like how are you studying for this how are you like do you get what this term means like all the little nuances that I always felt bad because I I asked you for notes so many times. Like, oh, she's, gonna, she's gonna kill me. I, I just, there comes a point in every school year where I just like drop, drop off, and like it's hard to get back on the train once you fall off of it. For sure. No, I never was. I was always like, oh my gosh, someone needs my, like, it kept me honest because I was like, oh, I'm taking notes. Like, I need to actually understand. I, I loved your notes because, like, we had a very similar, like, you know when you get someone's notes and, like, they may not have a similar note-taking style to you or it wouldn't have been the same way you took notes. So your brain doesn't really process them as well. Well, I noticed that, like, your notes were very similar to, like, <laughs> really? I take notes. And I was like, yes <laughs> oh my gosh how have we never gone over this until now honestly that's so funny I never knew that <laughs> um I'm curious too as I was thinking about it what kind of got you into neuroscience like why did you want to study it yeah so actually my neuro story is a bit interesting so I came in uh, to Notre Dame as a biochemistry major and I like the biochemistry major it's a great program if you're into that I have nothing bad to say about it it was just um I was looking at my course trajectory and it was very very chem heavy and I realized that that's not really what I was into as I was going through my classes and I had taken 
intro psych uh, as an elective to fulfill uh, the social science requirement, I think. And Mm -hmm. I was really into it. And I realized that I didn't, that I wanted more psych, but I didn't want to fill up my very limited elective space in biochem with it. So I realized that I would probably be much happier (laughs) in a major that was slightly more biocentric and uh, much more easily allowed me to take psych courses. So I kind of took a leap of faith by getting into neuro, although I didn't really know much about neuroscience. And then, um, so I switched in as a sophomore, I believe, because luckily as a freshman, biochem and neuro are basically identical. Uh And when I took that, uh, Dr. Boyd's um, intro to neuroscience class, I just fell in love with it. I was like, I could sit here and listen to her talk all day. Yeah. And I was just, I was hooked and I knew that I could study this. And it was actually a really big moment for me because like, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. I was like, I like science and I chose biochem. I'm like biology and chemistry, that's science. Uh And it was a very general interest. So I was really happy that when I discovered neuro that my interest in science finally had like a concrete (laughs) direction instead of just this general interest. So Mm -hmm. that's how I got into it. Yeah, isn't it kind of funny? I've I've had a similar experience where I was just like pre-med and I was like, oh, like I did kind of always love just like learning about psych and human interaction and everything. And then I forget even how or who I was like speaking with. It might've been a teammate, but they're like, oh, you know, you should look into doing a psych elective or um, like sociology minor or something like that. And then they were like, or a neuro major and it's pretty similar to the track you've been on. And I remember taking Dr. Boyd's class um, and I had the same exact thought process. I was like, oh my gosh, like it just kind of clicked. And I I think about it a lot. And um, another podcast that I love, uh, Brene Brown's podcast, she was just talking about like a sliding door moment. It was like one of those moments when you're faced with the decision and you went one way and like thinking about still being, just pre-med um and not even having like those neuro electives or anything I think it would have been like a very different path for me I I I honestly don't think I'd have discovered um you know that like want to understand others and probably wouldn't even be here sitting with you on this podcast if I'm honest you know and I think um like in talking to a lot of other people too very similar kind of aha moment of you know, especially, I don't want to say like the hardcore neuro majors, but the people who get really externally involved are just obsessed with this major and this program. And I think that's what makes neuro really special as a program, honestly, because, you know, you'll get, in other programs, I think you'll get people who enjoy their major, like their major, but a lot of the neuroscience majors I know are just hardcore. Mm-hmm. Like, so yeah. my major want to take this as far as it can go and are just extraordinarily passionate and happy to be here and yeah so I but I love the community too because there's not a lot of people who are lukewarm or neutral to the neuroscience major uh most people are are really excited so yeah there's definitely something that draws everyone together to unify um and I'm curious because I've definitely felt like some pressures just with having to be like super successful as a student 
both in, yes. you know, like the collegiate world, the Notre Dame world and the science, um, you know, college of science. I think there's a lot of pressure to be like, oh, you're going to med school, going to grad school, you know, junior year, yeah. you're studying for MCAT. And we were just discussing this before of just like having such a laid out plan. And it was speaking with our advisor, Dr. Michaels, she was saying, she was like, and this was some of the best advice I ever got was, you know, take a moment and think to yourself, like, are you just following this path because it's what you think you should do or, you know, what you feel like you should do, or do you actually want to do it? And, you know, of course that's where I decided that I didn't want to go to med school. And, you know, (laughs) I think we both, like, we've talked about this before, um, kind of like how you think that there's one path, but there's actually so many things that you can do with in science and within neuro. So very, I think one of the questions like you gave me as a sample was like, who's one of my role models and hands down all the way is our advisor, Dr. Nancy Michael. You should try to get her on this podcast because she would be a fount of wisdom. (laughs) It's actually in motion. (laughs) But she is just, in terms of like bringing me back down to earth, Mm -hmm. she is the most incredible human being because she was the one like I was feeling really to kind of bring this all full circle my freshman and sophomore years are really difficult for me because I was just you know navigating like how to be a college student and we'll get into this later but also how to be a college student with a disability Mm -hmm. and biochem starts you baseline in 19 credits your freshman yeah and luckily, uh, I was in slightly less than that because of AP credit, but it was still, you know, very hardcore classes, major chem- majors chemistry. And I'm not saying it's easier or harder than anybody else. It was just a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was navigating all that. And I had a lot of, like, my first exam ever of college was Calculus 1. And I didn't know it at the time, but by the b- calculus biochem puts you in is the calculus for engineers. Mm-hmm. I've so heard nightmares about <laughs> Had already taken some level of calculus in high school, whereas I ended in pre-cal. In the first exam I ever took in college, I got an F on, just like 59%. Yeah. <laughs> I think I like cried on my bed for like an hour afterward. And I was just in like a really rough spot. Like I wasn't getting the grades I was hoping to get. And I just felt like an imposter like why am I here like do I even deserve to be here is it not going to get any better than this is it going to be this awful the whole time and sophomore year got a little better but you know still very much in that place of like oh my god what am I doing and you know it wasn't and I like like orgo really broke me because it was just bad and I was talking to Dr. Michael and she's like Monica you know so I had just making the I just made the decision to drop majors or go to and retake it. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong at all with dropping and retaking a class. But like for me, I had never even had to think of doing something like that before. And Dr. Michael just sat and looked at me and she was like, Monica, I think when you get past the mental block that is orgo because of even all the negative cognitive associations you have with it, that things will get a lot better for you. <laughs> and I don't know if it was like, because she said it, it, it gave me, you know, more confidence. Yeah. Sure enough, that's how it turned out. And it's been 
great <laughs> ever since sophomore year ended I've you know I've been a lot stronger academically and I've been able to handle myself better mm-hmm. but I really appreciated her saying that and like in no way shape or form did she validate any of the insecurities I had about myself and I, because you hear stories of advisors like breaking student spirits all the time and never ever did she do that and um yeah she's just been wonderful and great and I think she gives she gives great advice to students because it's not the advice you'd expect like from an advisor you would expect an advisor to say no you need to have a set path and you always need to know the next step of what you're doing and if you don't have a plan what's wrong with you but but she's very much the person that's like look, if you need to take a couple of years to explore post-grad, like, go do it. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't need to have a decision right now. And society's pre-prescribed paths are just that. Like, there's no reason you actually have to do this in this amount of time. And when she said that, I was like, oh, my goodness. It's kind She's- of a relief, you know, like, taken off your shoulders. It was, <laughs> I had the same experience, yeah. Because even me coming in as a pre-med, like, you know, our freshman year, I was like, biochem, pre-med, straight through, gap year, what? But now, like, uh-huh. I have completely done a 180. And I'm like, I think I want, I'm pretty sure that I still want to go to med school, but I am not in any hurry mm-hmm. to get there. Like, I'm planning to do two years of research post-grad. Like, that's what I want to do. And if I find something interesting, I'm going to go do it. Like, I'm not stressing about it anymore so I think that's something she's really helped me and also a lot of other students to do it's just like freak out a little less (laughs) because I think that's I think Notre Dame's culture is is meant to kind of have you freaking out all the time Mm -hmm. and that's not it's not great (laughs) yeah it can definitely wear you down especially when you have those moments you're like orgo I like every every single test I was right there with you I was like oh my god like what is going on like how am I you I've know, never I- seen a number that low <laughs> yeah yeah I feel like it wears down everyone um like I acknowledge that's not ne- unique to me at all but um I want to you know just emphasize what you're saying too about that element of pride you're talking about of having to drop a class because I think in some way we see it as failing, like failing, because we assume that whatever task we commit to, we are going to do it because, you know, that's always what we've done. And it's almost an, like a self-identifier or something we, um, yeah, we really like hold near and dear to our hearts is that we're super dedicated to whatever we put on our plate. So then to kind of have to switch our mindset and be like, oh no, like part of college is having to adjust and be quick on your feet and just be okay with all the moving parts and to take a class even though it seems like something so small I've realized in thinking about it myself that it kind of symbolized way more that I had to be like okay with acknowledging like oh I can't do everything at once um that like even if I wanted to appear perfect or that I could handle everything that's just unrealistic of me to you know set that for myself for me always was I was worried about how the professor would perceive me if I didn't do everything like even if, if it's an assignment or I still do this with like assignments and things but I'm like oh what will the professor think if I like assignment wise like don't turn this in 
completely on time or oh if I don't get a great grade on this or what will this professor think if I drop their class or if I'm getting really low grades on their exams like they probably think the worst of me and I've learned that like that's not the case like 95% of the time is they're not like taking it personally like they're not taking your academic experience personally like if because even I was talking to you know my professor about dropping the class and you know he very much did his best to help me so it like to not get to that point but it just wasn't happening for me and when I made my final decision he's like no that's fine and he even encouraged me he's like you know if you're gonna retake it I wouldn't retake it over the summer I'd wait uh until the academic semester just for quality of instruction and like no like no hard feelings no nothing so I think we tend to like over and anytime I've turned in an assignment you know a little late or something the professors or ask for an extension like they're never like mad at you so I think we tend to like over overthink what Uh our professors think about us like the biggest thing I've learned is they don't really care yeah (laughs) yeah I've I've learned as well you know it's interesting you bring up professors and as you were speaking I was kind of reflecting I was like I've definitely had those moments but I think more for me I was always just worried like or I was always a little bit competitive about grades and I think I it was more internal so I was more like I was more peer oriented I think than because professors I can count so many times where I just go in and be like I have no idea can you help me out like I it never was a um or I guess less it was a professor thing versus a peer thing like I wanted to be able to you know be in class and know what was going on so that when my peers were in the class and talking about it I could also like seem knowledgeable which says a lot Um, no no that's so true yeah some people are really I always feel bad for the people that are really overly into that like I remember I think it's most prevalent in your early years of college like freshman year especially Mm-hmm. I remember, you know, everyone would ask, well, what specific score did you get on the exam? And the people who did really well were very eager to publicize that they got a 95. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's funny how much we value, you know, that, um, like, validate, yeah, yeah, having a number to associate with your intelligence, you know, like, yes, it's um, kind of bizarre, but yeah. no, very much is. <laughs> it's just, or it's always awkward when someone's complaining that like they got an 82 and you're sitting over there with your 65 like yeah tell me more about how much that sucks <laughs> yeah I know the the intricacies of college never bore me right like <laughs> well, I, I was glad to find that that seemed to at least in my experience like peter off as we got older like I rarely hear a senior being like or even a junior be like oh I got this numerical score yeah on the exam so now whenever like grades come up I just I say stuff like oh I did I got the score I was hoping for or, oh I did better than I was hoping for you know like yeah you can I think- talk about your grades in relative terms but the people who like want to put numbers behind it I'm like chill <laughs> yeah I'm curious if you think I think there's a degree of maturity that comes along with that with like people just Absolutely. like oh I've you know I've had my grades and like I've learned I've been around 
you know, the college life for longer to know that there's kind of more that comes with grades. But I think there's also, at least for me, there's a switch in what I valued. And I learned that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get through the class. I'm going to get through the exam, like whatever I come out with, sure. My GPA, you still want it to be high enough where you're getting like a source of pride from it and that you can do what you need to do with it. But I think for me, there's like this kind of click or a moment when I was like, I like, I'm studying, I'm trying the best I can, and I'm going to miss so many other great things of college. Like I'm way more willing to, you know, have an exam and then after not let it bother the time that I'm, you know, eating dinner with my friends or something like that. Just cause I, I, it's always, um, in the back of my head where I'm like, oh, you're missing time. Like that's one of my huge fears in life. Yeah. Uh, and I'm curious if you've kind of like thought the same thing or had the same switch where you place less of a value on like maybe grades or more material things and what you've kind of transitioned to value instead. Sure. So I mean, that's going to be sort of, um, since I didn't have the greatest, uh, freshman and sophomore year mm-hmm. wise and considering what I'm hoping to do in the future, I have tried to be a little bit more concerned grade wise in terms of like studying smarter, not necessarily harder. Yes. And, yeah. Um, you know, luckily that's paid off and I'm getting the upward trajectory, um, I've hoped for, but I definitely, <laughs> especially in light of uh, the coronavirus pandemic, do have some regrets. Well, I mean, I guess it's kind of weird because like for me, I feel like I worked just as hard, if not harder, my freshman and sophomore years and it didn't pay off in the way that I wanted. Mm -hmm. So in that respect, I was like, I don't regret like not studying more than because I don't even know if that was possible at that point. (laughs) <laughs> right yeah but in light of the pandemic I was like oh I wish you had kind of done more socially earlier mm-hmm. because you you had more of that time whereas like I, I was kind of talking to you about this beforehand you know like before I was 21 I was like oh I'll have like my senior year and by then I'll have like most of my academic stuff established so it'll be fine and now I'm in a pandemic and not able to do <laughs> most of that stuff so I kind of do wish I had taken more time to do more social stuff earlier on than just be like so academically laser focused especially since like it panned out how it panned out so um I do try nowadays um to do more and even for me it's like even if that means turning in something a day late and getting like a small deduction I'd rather have that than like miss uh, like I, one of my friends is like graduating or leaving like my friend's going away party like I'm not about to miss that to yeah. do this so I I've tried to be a little bit more like I've tried to get away from it but it's also still very much a priority just because I'm trying to yeah those first two years mm-hmm. but and that can be so frustrating too. It kind of like when we were discussing this a bit, um, how you were saying, you know, you wish you had spent more time socializing or whatever, just because of the pandemic. It's heartbreaking, honestly, just like to hear you even say that. And I feel the same exact way, you know, there's such a, um, like, I think every single person feels it of just having like a robbed sense of time, like 
socializing and all these things and I think it's across all age levels um no I totally agree and I and I definitely don't want to I'm not unique I'm not alone in that and I think for a lot of us especially people who would hear more rigidly like one of the reasons they didn't hear more rigidly was like let's get this over with so we can have you know as much of a normal college experience senior year as possible so to see that that those efforts you know haven't been realized on a national scale it's hard because you feel like you're doing your part and you know for for this thing that you want but it's just you know not happening and you can't go down the rabbit hole of thinking like well what if this had been different because it's it's just what it is and I mean I'm at the point where, where it's hard for me to even fault people who do do maybe less uh, pandemic friendly <laughs> just because it's it's so right. it's so difficult and mm-hmm. anyone who like at first I was on the train of like oh it's not that hard and like why and like at the beginning sure and I still feel like that to an extent but like I definitely am more empathetic and understanding to the fatigue that comes with this and like how it seems like worth it in the long run to be like okay let me do this let me go to this one thing and do this one thing and that'll be my one thing because you don't know Mm -hmm. when this is going to be less bad at this point yeah it seems to only be getting worse so then it's yeah it's just hard it's just so hard and even though like I guess my big takeaway is like judge people a little bit less because it's very fatiguing especially at this point yeah I think and thank you for being honest about that because I do no, it takes a lot of courage to even just like say that mid pandemic, you know, because it can, I think sometimes and sadly like polarize people. And that's something, you know, we were back in person classes and one like very much so just being at Notre Dame kind of in the spotlight for a couple of different things, yeah. um, like in the national spotlight, I mean, with that, but, you know, I, I had the same kind of approach or I've realized now um just like to give more grace and I've been trying to find like a balance in the pandemic because I think it's there's so many different factors that play into it and it took a long time for me to kind of realize you know like we're both social people so I think we can relate to this and just being like that's where I get my ultimate source of happiness and where I feel most confident and like my most truest self is when I'm around those that I love and I think you relate where we have like multiple social circles and we're like oh we want to see them and you know it might not just be that one person that you know we might live with or living alone like being in a dorm you know yeah there's was in a single mm-hmm, uh, exactly I've been a single and I so I'm an I'm an introvert and in that like I don't necessarily get my energy from being so but like I don't I think introverts get a wrong reputation of like oh they don't like being social and I don't mm-hmm. think that's true I very much like being social it's just like 
sometimes smaller social is better for me. Exactly. But, yeah. Um, like me living in a single and um, I, the people who lived across from me in my quad, I didn't know as well uh, this year because most of my senior friends moved off campus and the ones that stayed uh, wanted singles of their own. Can't blame them. Mm-hmm. But um, so I didn't really have anyone to like chat with on a daily yeah. basis. And I found that to be really difficult, you know, because I would I would come home and I would just sit in my room. And, you know, before I would at least have the dining hall, I would get dinner with a friend or I would at least like see someone while I was there in, in passing. But because of the... Uh, restrictions most of the time because it's uh again we'll get more into this later but because of my disability it's hard for me especially to sit outside especially when it starts getting colder yeah not convenient for me Mm -hmm. so I would sit and eat my room most of the time and that well even just like that image you feel so sad eating your little container alone in your room Mm -hmm. and I was like this is just like the quality. Yeah. The quality of life. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know. And I think about you honestly a lot because, and a couple of other friends that I have that stayed on campus and that transition, because mostly juniors are on campus and senior year people move off. It's just one of those Notre Dame traditions kind of always has been like that um, for at least while we've been there. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking about this because I was talking to teammates who were a couple of years older than us and they were like, oh, the transition to off-campus is just really hard and weird because you're so used to having those interactions with people at dining halls and just walking around campus, whatever. So add that with a pandemic now where it was so much more complicated and I understand like people were the doing so much to make it work but it just isn't the same you know and that's why I like to say social instead of introvert versus extrovert because I do agree I think there is a sometimes a um, misconception that can be there in introvert Um, and I've learned you know that's why it's very very um, difficult to perhaps like not want to judge other people when you see them being less conscious of the pandemic. But I've, mm-hmm. I've just found myself in those moments being like, I, how can I like judge? I think there's a, a like element of jealousy as well. Cause you're like, Oh my God, I yeah. want to be doing that too. Absolutely. But then yeah. you're like fighting with yourself and there's a guiltiness to it. And you're like, Oh my gosh, like I'll feel guilty if I do that. And then I'm putting other people at risk, but I want to do that. So then you feel even worse. And it's like a snowball of just emotions. Yeah, absolutely. Like, especially as someone like, I'm not, I'm not saying like, go out and throw a rager and forgive everyone who does. Like, no, like that's not what I'm saying. But like, okay, if you see someone out to eat with their friend, like chill a little, maybe. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, I know. Because- well, especially for me like that's kind of been my I don't want to say like <laughs> my risk piece but I'm like okay like if I go see someone like one-on-one like unmasked and I do my best to like contain myself afterward like that's the that's the only way I've given myself and if I want to do more than that I just usually leave a mask on but like Mm-hmm. before I was like I'm not gonna do anything with anybody and it's like that's not it's just not realistic to expect or sustainable too or like- sustainable to expect like to expect absolutely zero nothing like I know there are some really strong people that 
can manage to do that. And I'm unfortunately, like, I'm just not one of those people. And I think most of the population uh, wouldn't be able to do that very well. So I think, while I'm not saying like, like I said, I'm not condoning having a rager, but (laughs) I think, I I think we can be at least understanding of people from like a social human being standpoint and being a neuroscience major and having learned (laughs) about like, not just how important we think social connections are from like a subjective standpoint, but how literally important they are in terms Mm -hmm. of our like development as human beings. Like the pandemic scenario is not what our brains are evolved to do like mm-hmm. to do and to have oh, yeah optimally such, work at <laughs> yeah, and to have such a stark absence of social connection like you I'm just saying neurologically it all makes sense people breaking and going to do a thing like that makes like neurologically neurobiologically that makes sense yes yeah you know? so I'm just saying like from that standpoint I can't fault people because like it's Unfortunately, we are being asked to do things that are very against our biological conditioning. And whenever you do that, I'm not saying it's wrong. Like, it, we're definitely right to be imposing public health restrictions. But I'm just saying, like, you can't expect 100% compliance. You just can't. Yeah, I know. And it's so difficult, too, with especially being a student, like, feeling as though you know like we have four years at our university and just like I still even really struggle with the idea and the notion that like there's so much so many memories that are just being taken and I I try my best not to dwell on that um and to yeah I haven't even I try not to think about graduation because it just means yeah like it's not I mean I feel like in most like it's always bittersweet, no matter what the state of the world is. But I feel like in some ways it leans more toward bitter in a pandemic because we're not even able to do the things that allow us to seek the closure that allows it to be a happy occasion. Does yeah. that make sense? Oh, for sure. Oh my gosh. I get like, I we don't even it. get like I think what most of the time, I'm not like super in tune with this, but I think usually seniors, we have an entire week of campus to ourselves mm-hmm. before, like prior to commencement to just be. Students, to just be like have friends having fun, yeah. And as we just reviewed on our updated semester calendar, uh, we get approximately two days. Mm-hmm. And that's not even going to be with most of campus vacated yet. Yeah. And I doubt there are going to be any substantial activities. Like we can't even have, I remember every year seeing seniors post up about like the hundred days dance. We can't get one of those. Yeah. And it's just, and I remember always kind of like looking forward to it. And I was like, oh, like that's small, but it's cute and exciting. Mm -hmm. And like, it's just, because a lot of things like, I didn't go to football this year and that was bittersweet, especially with like what a great season we had, but I consoled myself for the fact that like football is always going to be there. Like I can buy tickets as an alum, like it's okay. But 
these other things like we <laughs> we I can't know. we can't be 30 rolling up into the 100 days dance like Hey. we'll throw our own um 100, 100 nights dance right that's what it's gonna take when all this is over yeah, um, like we, we can't do those things over you know so yeah. I think that's what makes me really sad it's like most of these things we can't just do later yeah and I'm curious as well you know you mentioned it before but I wanted to circle back around just to make sure we didn't miss it because you do have such a unique um perspective being a student with disabilities and especially within COVID. Um, so sure. I would love just to know more about how that's been for you. And just like, if you're willing to share and be vulnerable. I'd yeah, absolutely. So I'll give uh, the backstory first. So I was actually, I was born three months premature. And because of that, and you know, associated complications, I ended up being diagnosed with cerebral palsy when I was about two months old. And for those people who don't know, cerebral palsy is the most common um, like mobility impairment like disorder that uh, people can have. Um, and there's several different types, but essentially they think what causes it is a lack of oxygen to the brain. So because that's so general, you can have um, a variety of impairments and differing degrees of severity. So for me, I have what's called spastic diplegia cerebral palsy, which means it uh, primarily affects both my legs, but I have some dexter slight dexterity issues as well. And for me, it primarily affects my balance, uh, my gait, so I walk a little weird, and endurance. And I've used mobility aids all my life, so I started with a walker and transitioned to crutches. But coming to college, I actually had to transition to a power wheelchair just because... <laughs> I couldn't, it wouldn't be sustainable for me yeah. to physically walk all over campus to classes. I don't have the strength for that. I don't have the endurance for that. And if I did try to do that, uh, I wouldn't be able to student. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, um, basically, as an efficiency and energy conservation mechanism and safety, uh, when you take into account the variety of weather that we get. Um, Crazy weather, yeah. <laughs> so, so now I'm in a power wheelchair. Um, and that was... So that was also what I was transitioning into. I was transitioning um, essentially out of walking full time and going into this wheelchair 95% of the time. And that was very difficult because even though I got the wheelchair like the summer after high school, it's, it's a learning curve, especially when yeah. you're not used to it. And not only the use of the wheelchair, but also like being perceived and perceiving yourself as being in a wheelchair when you're not used to it. Like for example, my perception of height is completely off now. I'd say, oh, that person's really tall. And then like, and you know, a person who's not in a wheelchair would be like, no, they're not. You know, so I was learning to navigate the world in a wheelchair as well as transition to college. And it's just everything at once. Yeah, and a lot. There's not. There's not, I mean, my family's fantastic. They're, you know, always after resources and uh, the Disability Center at Notre Dame, like they've had experience, you know, supporting students in wheelchairs. So like they were as helpful as they could be, but <laughs> there's, there's nothing that will fully prepare you before you just go into it. And Sorry, if you can, my sister has a friend over there. Oh, no worries. Anyway, <laughs> um, so 
it was there's nothing that can fully prepare you for what that transition is going to be like and it I don't know if there's anything anyone could adequately do or adequately could say to prepare you for that like the first time you deal with inclement weather in a wheelchair like it's a whole <laughs> other added stress yeah you know things like that so that was a big part of what I was dealing with early on and um yeah, so there was that. And the pandemic, like the pandemic has been interesting. This goes into like problems Notre Dame has regardless of a pandemic, but in a succinct way, I mean, this is kind of harsh, but it's the succinct way I could put it. It's kind of like they admit you and then I don't want to say they forget about you, but that's how it feels sometimes mm-hmm. because of all the things I had to ask about, like how is this gonna look different with COVID? Whenever disability was brought up, it was always the the walkthroughs were done, the upgrades were made, all of that was done after the fact. You know, when really what they should be doing is when you have to make a plan of any sort, whether that's, you know, standard evacuation procedure, whatever, they should be consulting the proper people in the creation of that plan not I've made a plan uh is this good so (laughs) yeah being more proactive maybe right so for example uh with the pandemic we were made to eat in outdoor dining tents and I don't know if you remember but someone actually leaked those leaked photos of the dining tents and the first thing I noticed was that um I mean, it makes sense. They do this all the time, but like the tents were raised off the ground and they weren't flush with the grass. Yeah. I was like, well, I can't get up there. There's no ramp. There's no. So then um, I had brought it up to some students and this big group chat that was going around and like they brought it to like admin and sure enough, like after enough complaining, like they were putting ramps on the sides of the tents. And it's like, they, they might've been planning to do that anyway. Cause of course those were just like preliminary pictures that were leaked. But the thing is, I can't trust them to mm-hmm. think of those things ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Is the issue. It's like, that's the thing is like, you always feel like you have to think, in my experience, you feel like you have to think of every single thing. Cause you know, they're not going to think of it. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, that's part of the mission of Accessible, right? Yeah. So I started Accessible in my sophomore year. Mm-hmm. And essentially that was born out of, you know, so like I mentioned, my freshman and sophomore years were difficult. Yeah. I remember, I because that's when we met as well. I remember we've had conversations about that as well. Yeah. So our three like mission pillars, if I had to summarize them, were promoting advocacy spreading awareness and building community. So if I'm gonna break down those three, promoting advocacy is like, you are you are a person with a voice, you have power and you need to use that to communicate whatever it is that you need and that it's totally valid and allowed. Like don't let anyone tell you that you shouldn't be speaking up for what you need because it's absolutely necessary, especially in a place like Notre Dame where they don't have a rich infrastructure regarding disability and accessibility because it's a beautiful campus, but it's also a historic campus and that that has its own implications. 
Um, spreading awareness is basically because I noticed that, you know, Notre Dame does try with its diversity efforts and whether or not they are succeeding is a completely different conversation. Mm-hmm. But um, in their arms of diversity, nowhere did they mention anything about disability. And I never saw it advertised, even just in simple things. Even if I exclude cultural and social diversity for a minute, they rarely even brought it up in terms of infrastructure things. Mm-hmm. In even physical accessibility. Like it was just this past year that I saw the Welcome Weekend schedule and they finally put a blurb, if you need um, alternate access or accommodations, this is who you contact. Like they're still on that baseline step of like including uh, disability. So that was this part. We wanted to provide that missing piece of one, like education, because most of the student body has not been exposed you know to this population and Notre Dame um isn't doing they're starting to take an interest but they haven't really been doing they hadn't really been doing work to see disability as diversity or even educate on disability in like Moreau or building community in Notre Dame the preliminary like diversity modules they have us do so that was that um and then building community was because I didn't know how to connect with people on campus that might have been having similar experiences. Mm -hmm. There was no like hub or anything like that. Like they have a disability center, but of course they can't disclose, oh, so-and-so is just like you because that's a breach of privacy. Yeah. And, you know, unless you heard it through some grapevine, you know, there was no way to connect with those people. So I wanted to have a place where um, if you were looking for any sort of community that it was there and this is a place you could go and also it's just become a great resource for people to share like oh I have this accommodation for this or have you ever considered asking for this and it's been really it's been really great and that the pandemic has been uh, also like a topic of discussion there like are you getting are we getting everything we need uh, if so how can we or if not, how can we make that happen? Or, you know, what sort of things we should be thinking about? Yeah, well, that's so commendable. And, you know, I'm so happy just like for yourself and for others that you took the time to realize something that needed to be added to our campus and that you were able to, you know, have this like unique club, but also just to find such a value in community and also just like sharing, like taking time out of your day to in my humble opinion, I think better the student body. I'm like, I, it is not lost on me how proud I am just like to know you and have you as a friend. And I don't think I've ever expressed that. Um, I'm very happy to know you as well. And I appreciate all your support and doing things like, like, I think this is incredible, honestly. (laughs) I, I completely support your message of, we just need to start listening Mm-hmm. people and even like I'm a very opinionated person like I love that about you that's exactly why I wanted to have but, this but even me like I I really do try to take the time to like to hear people I'm willing to hear people out if they have reasons for what they have to say even if I don't agree uh-huh, with I agree as long as people have their reasons I'm okay with it. Like, yeah. 
what, what I what makes me angry and frustrated is if I ask someone, why do you think, um, why do you think this way? Why do you feel this way? And they don't have a reason. That's that's what makes me upset. Yes, for sure. So as long as people have um, opinions, like I don't, and reasons for why they have them, I am totally open mm-hmm. to listening. I might respond and say, I disagree with you because, but I, I have been trying to do better about just facilitating communication because I think that's, there are a lot of things right now that are dividing society and I'm not going to go into whether that's valid or not because that's a, like a three hour conversation. But I do think one of the things that even if we vehemently disagree with people, I'm very curious why people have the opinions that they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just I, having a genuine curiosity for it, for sure. And I think even if I'm still in complete vehement disagreement with you after that, I can at least reflect and say, I don't agree, but I can see given your life experience, why you might have formed that opinion. Mm-hmm, for sure. I think and that's I think a very that's mature exactly. way to see it as well. You know, I think knowing you, of course, just as a student and a friend, like I know that you can see things like that. And I hope, you know, that everyone finds their place to that sooner rather than later of having a little bit more empathy and understanding and um, being able to maybe pull away the personal side of it a bit and not get offended and have those more like educated um curious debates almost or conversations you know for sure and I really um something that resonated with me is something a friend of mine said I was worried about how someone would perceive something I was saying and my friend said you know Monica I think anyone who knows your story and like things that have happened to you would not think that like what you were saying was ridiculous or like was a ridiculous ask or, you know, whatever it was. And I think that's really, that's really true. Like if you think you have like a stupid request of someone or, you know, something you want done for a specific reason, it's like, just like most of the time, if you just tell people like why it is that you feel a certain way, like it makes oh, sense. To people. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. so I think that's really, um, yeah, I think it's just really valuable to try and understand where people are coming from, even if you don't agree with where that all leads. Yeah. I think we can at least make sense of it. Mm -hmm. And I love um, to kind of understand more just about, you mentioned the transition between using mobility aids and having a power wheelchair and just the perception of both yourself and others. Yeah, so for myself, I'm still in a bit, I'm in in an interesting place. So in terms of the disability community, like, okay, so first, actually, I'll start with outside the disability community. Wheelchairs are often seen as, like, negative, even, I'm not subconsciously, like, or like a symbol of illness, sickness, impairment, injury, whatever you yeah like all negative associations right and what the disability community is really trying to get you know others to understand is that no like wheelchairs aren't inherently a bad thing like they can empower us and give us a lot more freedom than we otherwise would have had 
you know, it's not necessarily bad for someone to be in a wheelchair. This could be allowing them to do so many things that they hadn't yet been able to do. And for me is, I wouldn't, like I said, I wouldn't have been able to tackle college if I didn't have a wheelchair uh, mm -hmm. behind me to help me do that. But then there are some things about the wheelchair that I don't quite love compared to other mobility aids. Like it's pretty cumbersome. You can't just throw it in the car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chuck it in the car or go on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, sometimes it does get stuck due to weather and it, they do, what they don't tell you is when you're a college student and you're out in all kinds of weather, uh, your power chairs are going to need repairs and those repairs aren't, you mm -hmm. know, and, and things like that. And then for me, it's somewhat actually like limiting socially because I might need it to get to the dorm, the place, the wherever, but then I can't really take it inside and because of the spacing, you know, so there are things like that. And for me, what's been a big thing is I've actually seen, because I'm in the wheelchair so much and I'm not walking and I'm not standing, I have actually lost ability. I can get it back if I like really committed to like physical therapy, but unfortunately I don't have time for that as yeah. a full-time student. So I have seen myself lose ability since coming to college. And that's something I've kind of had to come to terms with of like, I'm, I've chosen my academics over like my, shall I say, raw physical, physical abilities. And that's a choice that I've made. And that's a choice that um, I've had to live with. And for example, for me, I didn't really, I didn't realize how big of a deal like standing was mm -hmm. in terms of like being perceived. Like, yeah, like, like there's something to be said for being eye level with people, mm -hmm. and, you know, being able to look directly at them when you're conversing with them. And this is very first world problem me, but even like outfits and stuff, like for me, it doesn't, like there's something to be said in my opinion for like walking into a room because I've had the experience of doing that. Yeah. Or like, <laughs> I joke with my friends now, like now whenever I buy a new outfit, I have to do the sit down test. Like how does this look sitting down? Cause that's what I'll be doing 95% of the time. Mm -hmm. And it's just things like that. Like, I don't know. I, I like being able to stand. I like being able to walk. Like, and some people might, might have a problem with me saying that, but like, because I've had that experience, I'll say I, I prefer that. And I don't know if that's me internalizing like societal things, uh, which like we call like internalized ableism mm -hmm. in the community and ableism, you can think of it as like, like similar to like racism, sexism, but like against people with disabilities. But um, like, so that's been hard, even like the transition of like how I see myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think there's something to say, and I hope that no one would you know, like discredit you for saying that you want, that you enjoy standing and walking just because like that is your experience. So I hope no one, you know, would ever be upset at you for that, but just- You never know. <laughs> right, yeah, I know. <laughs> You're right, you never do know. Um, and I, I'm so appreciative that you're just like sharing all this. Cause again, like I can't relate and it's so helpful for me just to understand your own um, perspective and standing on it. And I'm curious with that choice with you're saying like between academics and the physicality of moving around and kind of losing some of that mobility. Do you think, you know, have, has there ever been a moment where you've um, perhaps like questioned that decision or 
any like regretted it at all it's hard i i would say i regret not incorporating more intermittent stuff because it definitely doesn't have to be as stringent as i make it but like for example i have an incredible friend who goes to pt for several hours like several hours like multiple times a week and like works out uh externally to that multiple hours a day mm-hmm. multiple days per week and i don't and i know she has like sacrificed academically for that so for me i i don't regret you know i commend her for going as hard as she does but i don't think that's realistic for myself so i think i, I could have done a better job about you know doing smaller more intermittent stuff but i'd say overall I don't regret it because I've always, my dad had this really great quote, like your brain will take you farther than your legs ever could. Oh, that's and, a great quote. Yeah. And I always, I mean, maybe I internalize that too much, but in some regards, but I've always agreed with that. And I've figured like, once I get to where I need to be, I, I can make amends from there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. one of my goals for the future is to try to incorporate stuff more um intermittently into like my daily life because like my physical therapist always said like the goal isn't to be in physical in structured physical therapy till the end of time the goal is for physical therapy to get you to a point and then we give you things to do and you just incorporate like how um, able-bodied people just go to the gym like similar things like you just need to do it in your everyday life like you don't go to physical therapy till the day you die like is that how it yeah works? yeah right you're not meant to live in right because yeah. you know most people have, have jobs and things like that where you can't stop to go to therapy at 2 p.m like <laughs> like that doesn't work so that's what i'm that's my goal for the future is to try to incorporate stuff uh-huh. but i'd say overall I'd say overall, I haven't regretted it. Like, it is disappointing at times when I'm like, oh, I used to be able to do that. And uh, I guess I can't do that anymore. Uh-huh. That's too bad. But um, at least for me in my condition, I know that, like, if I committed to working at it, I, I could get to a point again. So mm-hmm. um, that's good. I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I I thank you for being honest because I know it, you know, isn't sometimes easy, especially with the ways that people can perceive, you know, yeah. being in a wheelchair. Um, and you mentioned mentioned ableism, and because I know, just because I know you, and um, you always like, I admire that you take the chance to educate people and don't get perhaps offended or upset um, with others. If there was, you know, something you'd like to share with people, just like educate, I guess, what would it be? Sure, I think. This is a tough one. I I know, I'm hitting the I'm hitting the hard questions now. <laughs> yeah, I, okay, well, not because like there I you don't, there's a lot of things that apply in various different contexts, but I, I think overall I'd say in the way that people have typically viewed disability, it's viewed it's it's portrayed in a way that that is the most important not important but like like defining like yeah it's like a person's defining characteristic and so much so that like a lot of this is I mean it's one of my pet peeves like someone will come up to me and before they even ask me like what my name is they'll ask me about you know what my deal is being in the wheelchair Uh I think 
for me and some people take me saying that is like you're not open to educating people you're not open to questions no I'm very open to educating people I'm very open to questions but I think it's I don't like being watered down into mm-hmm. my disability and my disability alone and I think uh that's something that society tends to do or they expect you know all people with disabilities to have a similar attitude because of how they've seen it portrayed in the media or something like that and I just think that people should take the time to get to know the individual as you would any other person right in life. and <laughs> that that education piece will I'd say nine times out of 10 come out. Like a lot of times what I do with friends is like, hey, you know, we've gotten to know each other for a while now and it's been great. I just wanted to open the floor. Like, hey, if you have any questions, Mm -hmm. I'm here to answer them. Like go forth and ask. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) for sure. And just, I just think that's the thing. It's like people sometimes like don't know how to act. And it's like, you know, just proceed how you normally would. Yeah, you almost, I bet, feel like saying, like, just act normal. Like, you don't have to, like, it shouldn't be an act, you know, like, yeah, act natural. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But honestly, like, that's a thing, and I don't want people to take that, like, because some people, like I said, have taken that away, like, oh, we can't ask Monica questions about herself. No. It's part of your story, you know, like, like, that's not, true at all it's just that I want people well I should say I'm very much more open to telling people my story if they've taken the time to acknowledge me as an individual yeah like like you I'll sit here and I'll tell my story all day but the random guy who cut across the grass in front of St. Liam's to be like what happened to you yeah um, sorry that doesn't really lean myself to la- lean to me launching into my whole life story yeah especially you know like it's anything it's equivalent to like any thing you hold like near and dear to your heart or like any intimacy like it's something about you like it isn't just so casual that you're like oh like here's my like life story you know um and some people are mm-hmm. some people will entertain the rando on the street but and I'm not saying that's that's they're wrong for that. I think it's like to each their own. But to me, it feels I don't want to say cheap, but like <laughs> the best analogy I've heard recently is someone in the disability community saying, "I'm not a self-narrating zoo exhibit." Ah, oh, and I was like, "That analogy. is the perfect description." Yeah that's how it feels sometimes it's like a drive-by oh what's what's up with you oh I have did it oh okay move on like yeah kind of like impersonable like impersonal right. they, like they have no interest in you as a as a individual human being sitting in front of them they just want to know like their factoid <laughs> yeah get on with their day and I think that like cheapens the interaction and I don't know some people have no problem with this at all, but I'm. Well, the, this is your opinion. That's what's so great about it. Is I just think, <laughs> I just think it's, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just think it's not, it cheapens the individual in front of you to just like, 
a fact of some sort that you want to know. And I, I don't think that's an appropriate way to engage with a human being. <laughs> yes, no, I, I completely agree. I think it, um, you are so valid in expressing that and sharing that. And I hope people will kind of take that to heart um, because I think that's such a great thing is just like to approach any person like a human like you would in any situation and I think it's you know sometimes sad that it we can like distort things or I think it I think I want to think you know just being an optimist that people it's out of um you know not wanting to offend someone for sure and I think that can get lost in a message or whatever warped up in time um and you know the environment I'd say 90, like 99% of people don't mean anything negative at all by their interaction. And I am completely aware and understanding of that. And I'm not trying to villainize, you know, anyone who may have done that. Like, I, I understand why, like, I, I understand why it's a curiosity. I, that's not lost on me. But I think there's room for more meaningful conversation that can be had. And yes, yeah. Yeah. And I just think that like especially because disability is, is so little engaged with in terms of uh the diversity like movements that we've had throughout history, I think that taking the time to listen to people in this group more and I'm certainly not a spokesperson for everyone. There's a multitude of different disabilities out there and I can only speak to my experience. But I think that in general society needs to engage more with people with disabilities and I think what I'm going to call drive-by interactions don't uh it doesn't add anything Mm -hmm. yes yeah that's completely understandable um and you know even just thinking about it like as a friend I'm like there's that level of like protectiveness where I'm like I hope you never had like that one percent or whatever of people who just like for some reason or another aren't based in like a good faith you know effort um and I know that it has unfortunately like a it is a reality you know yeah and I'm like the the joke I made about like the guy cutting across the lawn and saying Liam's task because like that's real that happened uh-huh. and I'm sure that guy like meant well but (laughs) Uh but to me it was just like like very I was like out of it (laughs) yeah coming out of St. Liam's is our like university it was very very out of the blue in my day so like that played a role in my like reaction slash confusion but like that kind of thing it just throws you off Mm -hmm. I would say more so than like it doesn't offend me it's just very I mean I guess depending on how you ask it could be a little offensive but most time it just it throws me off because don't yes yeah do that so it just kind of when someone does you're actually like yeah and going that hasn't hasn't happened to me since I was a child and Mm -hmm. kids are kids but yeah and going back to like I'm sure it also um can kind of lean into how you perceive yourself and you there might be like that element of maybe like self-doubt where you're like is that like how like the only thing you know strangers are seeing absolutely and if you want to get all like psychological about it oh, please do we're both neuro majors we do this I, on the regular. I, so in my uh, I don't know, say tenure at Notre Dame 
um, there have been four people, including myself, with wheelchairs. Mm-hmm. And at one point, we were all on campus at one time. I kid you not, I have been mistaken for every single one of them. And we don't look alike whatsoever beyond the, and our chairs don't even look alike. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I can laugh at it because it's funny, but in some ways you can't help but think like, is that really all people are perceiving? Yeah. When they perceive me, not consciously, but mm-hmm. I'm thinking from like a psychological standpoint, is it like brain heuristic, like a wheelchair, wheelchair? Like association, yeah. Yeah, like I don't, there's probably some study on it somewhere, but it's just like, I sat back and I looked at like these collective interactions when I realized like, oh, I'm pre- I've been mistaken for not just one of them, but each of them. And we're all incredibly different. It just, it in some ways, like, sub- like even though it's probably subconscious on their part, confirms like fear almost how, how dominating uh-huh. of a visible disability can be in like people's perception of you and it's just kind of like it's interesting I, I think I like when people have their first impression of me is it the same type of first impression that like most people get I guess is like the question yeah in my brain I don't know but that was something that really kind of took me aback was like are they seeing like I'm like does this mean they're not seeing my face does this mean like like what does that mean (laughs) and yeah so it's it's something I've thought about a lot Mm -hmm. and I don't I don't know if there's anything that can be done about it because it's still because seeing someone uh, in a wheelchair or with any sort of physical difference is still so jarring in our brains that like it's gonna stick out and it's gonna be remembered. And I, oh, speaking of things that are really hard, uh, when you have a disability, a physical disability of any kind, you don't get to be inconspicuous anymore. There's no, oh no, I'm late to class and I'm just going to slide into the back. No, you're making a big deal out of it. Everybody knows you're late. Hello, professor. Good morning. I'm very late. (laughs) Like, you have to, like, there's no, like, I've gone to the store multiple days in a row and I feel weird about it each time because, like, they know. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, you just don't get to be inconspicuous anymore and sometimes that's really hard or oh if you're in a difficult situation you might not be able to just walk away like some other people you know just I should say exit as easily as other people can uh-huh. and so you basically you have to <laughs> for better or for worse either learn or tolerate like situations of extreme discomfort because you don't have that like all eyes are on you (laughs) because it's not you can't just slide in you can't just make yourself you know nondescript so you can blend in like Mm -hmm. people know and it's just the way it is and I like my dad was joking he's like oh I went to the store in a mask a baseball hat and 
and no one like I've passed people I knew and no one said anything mm-hmm. I'm like that is the level of anonymity I desire to be able to have and okay. with that it's just unfortunately because so few people use these devices or you know walk differently or what have you yeah. uh, they, they know it's you mm-hmm. <laughs> that so yeah. Sad. yeah for sure and it's so enlightening just to hear you even say that too because there of course like you have moments where you're like oh my gosh I just want to like blend in and of course for that whatever moment it's like you can't no matter what you do you were like spotlight is on you like professors calling on you whatever like you're a mess out of breath like whatever it is like so frazzled and you're just like please anything like I just my one thing like and it's always you know what we can't have that we want the most um and it's such a of course a deeper level than that you know just like being frazzled or whatever um but thank you for sharing because I know that takes like a lot of vulnerability um yeah and I'm it's surprising like I've become increasingly more comfortable with it over the years because I've kind of realized like I mean we're not like not getting it into it on this podcast but like you know I've shared some things to people that like are even more traumatic like have been even more so like I would classify it as like traumatic mm-hmm. that have happened to me and it's just I'm, I'm not like sometimes it's hard to talk about but I I view it as if my like trauma or negative experiences can help people either learn how to better interact with people or watch out for things when people interact with others Mm-hmm. or just be cognizant that these sort of things happen um that's better because unfortunately a lot of people with disabilities who experience things may not be able to communicate as well what mm-hmm. had happened to them and I'm I'm not a voice for those people that's not what I'm saying but I think I am I'm very grateful for the opportunity to make people aware mm-hmm. of the things that I've experienced and do so in a way that uh, like according to one friend like doesn't like my friend is like you never make people uncomfortable and you never like burden them I'll stand with, by like, that I agree with, with that like, the negative things that have happened to you and I I guess that must just happen because I'm not trying <laughs> I'm not like I'm not thinking about oh That's how nice motive yeah <laughs> you know I'm not perceived I'm not consciously telling my story in a specific way to make it so it's like that mm-hmm. so Anytime I can teach people or, you know, make people more uh, aware that things are going on, like, I'll, I'll take that opportunity because I think it's important. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. And that's, you know, what I'm trying, like, one of my goals with just this podcast and whatnot is to try and learn, like, more from you know, of course for myself, but also just for other people who I think are out there and are genuinely curious. And I know you're the same way, like always just wanting to know more about people and understanding them and Absolutely. educating them. So thank you again. I know um, we've been chatting for a while and yeah, I always love I it. can talk forever. I'm like, oh no, she's going to regret having me on here. <laughs> oh, never. This is Monica. Why do you think that yearbook interview really went well? Like we are just two people who love to just chat (laughs) and it's always so much fun too so I was like oh well let it come on um but in all seriousness thank you so much Monica I know you know just like from 
being your friend and I mentioned it before, but I, and I don't think I've ever properly told you, but I'm just so happy that, you know, our stars aligned and we were able to meet. And Yes, um, me too. I'm so grateful for that. And so shout out to GA, I guess, yeah. for yes. facilitating our friendship. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's always the classes, you know, that I get some of my closest friends. Um, you feel like you, you know, went through it together, went through the ringer. So, um, thank you again, Monica. You yeah. are amazing. And for sharing everything with us um, yeah. until next time. Bye everyone.